Welcome to the RC Roundtable Podcast, where we discuss the latest RC hobby news, events, model reviews, and a whole lot more. Well, Are we going to pretend everybody. that didn't happen? <laughs> uh, yeah. Man, if you only knew what happened behind the scenes. We had a little technical error here, and uh, hopefully it works this time. We had like four hours. We were just talking. Oh, I know. We solved cancer and uh, cold fusion, but now it's all gone because the Middle East, we had it all figured out. Yep, yep. We didn't hit the right button. All right, round two. Democrats were hugging. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All right, let's try this again. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the RC Roundtable, episode number 176. And because our indomitable Lee Ray is not here, yes, that guy up in the top right corner is not Lee. That is Bob Martin, our special guest for today. The RC Sub guy from Nautilus Dry Docks, and he has uh, gloriously and generously uh, agreed to join us today for a really special topic that it should be a lot of fun to talk about. I uh, so think thanks it for joining will be. us. Absolutely. Anytime. So, Fantastic. Fitz, you need to thank me. Because I screwed up and we had to start the recording over, you got the website right on the first try now. Yeah, that's right. I didn't mess up his website. (laughs) 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 Well, at least I get it, you know, a blind squirrel gets a nut. Something like that. Every Every once once in a while. while. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, um, let's get right into it. (laughs) Um, Before we get get uh real uh heavy with uh bob here uh let's talk about a couple of things we want to get off our chest real quick uh terry has a great story with his little what was the name of that plane i can't remember what it's called the high-tech e hawkeye yes so i know he has one too he and i've been talking about it as i went through the process with mine we do some racing what about racing He's coming up there. Ask him to bring one with you and do some racing with him or something. Oh, uh, yeah, we could. For combat. It wouldn't be very fast racing. Yeah, okay. so, so for those of you watching, you can see it here. For those of you listening, it's a little, uh, I don't know, what's the span on this thing? 20-something inches? Low like 20s? 25, something like that? Yeah, it's a little guy. I think it weighs like four ounces ready to fly. This is a receiver-ready plane that high-tech used to sell. I don't think they do anymore. Uh, my daughter won it at the neat fair a few years ago and um, we hadn't put it together and we decided to do that over the weekend or I should say i decided she doesn't know it but she gave it to me <laughs> and uh, so i thought it would be a quick job and it was and the interesting part here is i used the same transmitter that i used in my float plane that i talked about um, from the neat fair a few years ago. And for those of you that remember the story, I'm talking about the incident where I maidened a plane halfway through the maiden, the transmitter battery died, but lucky me, it just orbited over the lake. And then at some point, uh, somebody grabbed a battery and we recovered it and landed without incident. And I thanked my lucky stars. So you would think that I learned from that uh, incident, right? Nope. I'm stubborn and I'm kind of dumb. So I used that same transmitter again here and I took it out for a maiden flight and everything went great. It flew well, it had decent power and this is a three cell airplane, rudder, elevator, throttle. And it was maneuverable enough with that. 
But after that first flight, I'm like uh, thinking to myself, I want to add ailerons and I want to give it some more power. So when I got it back home, I cut in some ailerons, added two more servos, bada bing. And I also modified the receiver, took the case off, wrapped it in heat shrink and saved about half the weight. So that helped too. And that kind of offset some of the added weight of the servos. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing, yeah. And uh, I also put it on a watt meter. Oh, oh, I forgot this part. Um, the connectors between the speed control and the motor, it has a built-in brushless motor, servo connectors, like three-pin servo connectors. Yeah. So what's the amp rating on those things? Uh, a couple amps. Zero maybe. point nothing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it can't be much. So um, I decided... I would direct solder that. So I soldered the motor to the ESC. I swapped out the red JST battery connectors for XT30s. Mm. And I uh, put it all on a watt meter. And it's designed for a two cell, but I found that a three cell, 350 milliamp hour LiPo doesn't overstress any of the components. It's within spec for the speed control. And the motor seemed like it was doing good. So thumbs up and all that. Took it out for another flight after making all those mods. And long story short, um, a couple minutes into the flight, it stopped responding. Luckily, it came down to a gentle landing in the field with no damage. But the reason it stopped responding is because the idiot holding the transmitter let the battery die again. I, <laughs> I had, yeah, at some point, I uh, had turned off the, the warnings in the transmitter that tell me, hey, idiot, the battery's about to die. Because um, I had changed out the battery. It used to be a lithium phosphate and now it's got a lithium ion so maybe in the course of changing out the battery type i turned off the alarms i don't know but but it has them on now i've got every alarm <laughs> every alarm this transmitter is capable of is enabled now so when the battery's getting low it sends smoke signals it uh it calls my mother it does all sorts of stuff to let me know that i better land and take care of things <laughs> nice. So, so those little flags, those little flags. <laughs> right. The uh, there's a name for them. Oh, I always forget what they're called. But I don't know. It gives me a little shock. Um, <laughs> so that's the the uh, story behind my handle. For those of you listening, my handle tonight is Repeat Offender. So I like to think uh, two strikes and I'm out. So I I learned my lesson. It won't happen again. I swear. Say, this, yeah. is what, this is one of those things, though, that like, you know, if, if this wouldn't have happened, you just would have kept on going until it was a, like a serious issue. So, you know, these kind of things happen for a reason. It was just a little a little lesson. The universe needed to remind me and yes. it did it in the nicest possible way with a, a cheap airplane that it didn't even damage. So <laughs> I did something right. Somebody up there likes me. <laughs> so. Yes, because third time you would have. It's going to end up in pieces, whatever you're flying. So. Yep. So that'll really make it stick. So, all right. Yeah. So that's my flying story. What's yours? You reminded me, I once had an incident where I was uh, long, many moons ago, we were flying with uh, NICADs. Mm. I was flying an airplane and I had just touched on the land when the battery on board died. Oh. And so I was really lucky. It just landed. It was a glow powered plane. I just landed and it maybe you know, taxi a couple of feet and I had no control of anything. And it just sat there. <laughs> the, the transmitter or the airplane battery? The airplane battery. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, airplane battery died. I guess it was worn out or bad cell or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's not as good as the one where the battery fell out of the airplane, but <laughs> yeah. you have to be able to top that story now. I will never top that one. So, <laughs> uh, Bob, we're referring to a, a case where I was flying on a large uh, airplane and the battery literally fell out. I did a, a roll, I think, with it, and the battery came unstuck from the Velcro and it literally fell out of the plane, but <laughs> it was... <laughs> But the, the great thing is the motor freewheeling was enough power, could generate enough power to run everything for me to land it. So it didn't crash. He didn't even know the battery had come out until he couldn't taxi off the runway. Oh, yeah. Wow. I, I thought the canopy had come off. Actually, the canopy, it did come off, and I thought that was it. And so I, it had retractable landing gear, had um, electric retract landing gear. So I dropped the gear, came right in, and landed normally. It was a little tail heavy, but it landed normally. And then um, it wouldn't taxi. I was like, well, that's odd. And the motor wouldn't run. I walk up to it. The battery's gone. And that battery <laughs> ran everything. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I apologize because I'm not intimately. I'm, I'm a pilot, but I'm not an RC pilot. So the the, the, the prop was acting as a generator. It was, it yes. was back feeding the system with, with electricity. Correct. Interesting. That is yes. so cool. It was the right combination of the, the prop pitch was coarse enough to freewheel but not too coarse, not too fine. Uh, the motor was big enough to generate enough power to run the servos and the speed controller uh, had the brake disable and had a, a rectif rectifier in it to feed power back into the battery. It was just like the perfect storm of everything. It worked. It was wow. actually amazing. Yeah. Cause yeah, wow. normally you just crash cause you run out of power. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, and then too, I, I mean, I guess they do it on purpose, but they, they would probably put the battery, you know, on, on the CG, I would imagine, or close to the CG, right? Yeah. I was lucky in this plane that losing the battery, it was close enough to the CG that it was still able to fly. Losing you said it was a little tail, a little, a little tail heavy. It was so. a little bit tail heavy. I could tell it flew a little funky, but I figured it was just cause the canopy was missing. But, um, no, it was, <laughs> it was a big enough plane that the shift in CG wasn't enough to lose the control. And that's another lucky thing. For most of our models, I think the battery is critical for CG. So yeah, with 90% yeah. of planes, if you lose the battery, that it's not flyable anymore. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. a big chunk of battery, too. It wasn't a little battery. And it's an asymmetric plane. So you had lateral and uh, fore-aft balance. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was a BV-141, if you know what that is. You can look it up. Uh, so anyways, uh, speaking of airplanes, so uh, I had a little interesting... Uh, uh, flying uh, maiden the, the other day so at our club uh we had a couple of guests that popped up they were students at the local university i think one he's going for his master's now i think he just finished his bachelor's and they were building an airplane for the aiaa competition they call it the, the design build fly if i remember correctly isn't that already over it's over yes that's some i'll get to that in a second okay. so that's very much akin to the SAE aero design in a way where they have to design an aircraft for certain rules and limitations and lift a certain amount of weight and that kind of stuff. So he had, him and his compatriots had been working on this for quite some time and they missed a deadline. They were not able to complete it in time for the competition. But he came to the club and said, hey, we built this plane, but we really, this is our first plane we've ever built. We've never flown it. We'd really like to see if it even flies. That way we can use some lessons learned for next year. And that way we can finish it faster and learn from any mistakes and stuff like that. We just want to see if the thing flies. It's our first airplane. We designed it. Can you help us? Help us, OB Club Kenobi. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so, so. We said, sure. So myself and our club president, Michael Eibel, said, hey, we'll help you out. Um, 
he he said, "Hey, uh, you know, Fitz does a lot of electric stuff, and and the club president is actually an aerospace engineer, so and and a model airplane pilot." So he said, "Hey, that's we'll, we'll we'll put our heads together and see, check it out." And and so he brought it to the club meeting, and it was a pretty neat design. It's not something pretty basic. In fact, let me uh, uh, show up a picture here real quick. And while you're doing that, I'm going to try to make you the bigger picture here. But okay. clearly, I don't know how to do that. Where's Lee when you need him? How do you? You just wanted to make yourself bigger. (laughs) I played dumb. Well, let me. uh, Where is it? Oh, window. There we go. Can you see that? Yes. Do you want me to look at it? Okay. Let me add that to the stream. There we go. There you go. It's big now. So here it is. I can't remember the wingspan. It's fairly large. Uh, probably pushing 80 inches of wingspan, and it's very interesting. It's a mixture of carbon rods and traditional laser cut balsa wood, uh, and some 3D printed parts in the tail and stuff. And it's got a really nice motor, runs on a six cell battery pack with a folding prop. Uh, the rules were it has to be able to be able to be um, disassembled and put in a box of a very constrained dimensioned so it's, it can be disassembled the tail can come off the wings can come off and that kind of stuff and it has a cargo bay for lifting weight and so we uh, took a quick look at it and one of the first things we checked out was the cg and it was way tail heavy so Uh-oh. if you look closely you can't really see do you see do you see my mouse mm-hmm. yes oh, okay you can barely see it but you see a little white patch right there yeah yeah that is lead weight that we literally taped to the nose um, and there's the one on the other side, and he had some in the middle. So we we was we told him it was tail heavy. So he puts them inside, but it still wasn't enough. And so he had some extra weight, and we just basically just you know, duct taped it to the front. Uh, and we figured, okay, that seems pretty good. And so uh, it flew. We took it off. Um, I don't know if this is that. I have a video. I don't know if this was. Sorry, I'm clicking around. So it, it we um, went to the field and we did a little taxi test, and uh, oh, this is not the flying video. Hold on one second. I'm sorry. Let me um, load up the other video real quick. It's got to load for a second. Uh, we had a bit of a crosswind that day, so we're ticking off in a weird way. Do you still have the cross crosswind runway set up there? We do, but it was like the uh, ninety degrees off of that one. We couldn't oh. use that particular crosswind. It was actually quartering from a different direction. I got it up here in a second. Oh. All right, window here. All right, so and you should have it in a second. There here it we is. Go. Okay, so here's a quick clip of it taking off. It took off. It didn't have much weight in it, so it took right off. And it actually flew quite well. I was actually surprised how well it flew, considering we didn't really know how much throws to put in it. And so we had different rates and uh, a little bit of um, uh, differential in the aileron. You can't really, it's a, it's a spec at the moment. But anyway, so it did. Let me see the landing, if I can get it. Uh, see if James got the landing. Okay, here it is coming in for a landing. We found that it actually flew really slow. We could slow it down a lot. It didn't have any bad habits, like real major tip stalling or anything like that. It just, in fact, I flared a little too high. And there it is. So we ended up flying it about three times. 
and uh, we progressively took some of the nose weight out, and then we settled on what was a good amount. And so we considered very successful. Had lots of power. He was curious how much power the thing would have. And so one flight, I just took off and went straight up, and it just accelerated straight up. So it's got gobs wow. and gobs of power. And the plane weighs, I think, seven pounds or something like that. Seven or ten. Seven pounds empty. Uh, Do so the their requirements next... stipulate what kind of power system they can have? Oh, I asked them that, and I don't remember the answer. All I right. don't think they did. I forgot the name of the motor. It wasn't a, a brand I was familiar with, but it was a very nice setup. Um, but I can't. I think I asked them about power limit, limiter on it, and they didn't have one. So I oh. think, uh, but it was it had an 80 amp speed controller, so it was at least limited by that. So yeah. like maybe a couple well. thousand watts. <laughs> The speed uh, control only limits you till it bursts into flames. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was, I was happy we had a nice successful flight, uh, and they're going to go off and do some weight tests with it now. I didn't really lift any weight. I had to leave. I couldn't stick, stick around. So they said they have their own pilot now. Now that they know that it flies and it's trimmed, they're going to go off and load it up and see how much weight it can carry nice. from it. Yeah. So we're real happy that they were able to fly. And then one of the one of the guys in the team says he's looking into joining the club. He's really interested in learning how to fly model airplanes. So he's a, uh, and he said he had like a, some sort of lifting body design he had he wanted to build or something huh. like that. So cool. Looks like he has some cool stuff. So that was uh, I was happy that they had a successful design. I was really surprised how well it flew, and I uh, wish him the best of luck. All right. So explain the timing now, because I thought they just had that competition. Is this for yes. the next one? They missed it. They didn't. They didn't finish it in time. Oh, I see. So, but they wanted to know if it flew, and they didn't want to wait till next year or anything like that. And I think the yeah. rules changed for each year, so it wasn't any point in keeping a plane for next mm -hmm. year. So it was, and we, we we there was a lot of lessons learned. We told them, hey, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. They learned that he needs more access hatches for doing things it was real hard to put weight in it. <laughs> maintenance 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 yeah. exactly <laughs> consider maintenance when you're building this thing uh the tail was a little too big uh it was a little too stable with the rudder you know I said, oh, yeah. I, i'd hit full rudder to think we kind of barely you know kind of <laughs> uh so yeah you're, you're even mike was like yeah your rudder's a little too big this the fit the vertical fin was uh i think oversized uh and a few other things as far as how to disassemble it and just you know, those little things you don't know until you build something, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and that's part of the you know part of the reason they do this is to learn. So I think they learned a lot of lessons. They're real happy that it flew. And I'm happy that I didn't break it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. And thanks to the team. Hopefully, uh, we'll see what they do next year. Yeah. So they do that every year. That event. Yeah, it's every year. I asked them. I think one of them is in Arizona. I think or. Somewhere around in the Southwest is where they hold it. Right. Uh, I think they hold it in two places in the U.S. every year, but I can't remember the other place was. Uh, these are neat things, Bob. If, um, they have one in Fort Worth every other year, sometimes every, usually every other year. They just had it already. They, it's, this one's called SAE Design, and it's really neat. These, the students, they build model airplanes of various sizes, and they have tasks that they have to do. Some yeah. are as simple as lifting weight. Some are very advanced nowadays with computer-controlled, semi-autonomous, or even autonomous uh, um, competition activities and things like that. So yeah, what, like what you're what you're talking about the, is is absolutely paralleled in in my industry as well. I'm I'm approached on a regular basis from 
you know, schools and universities and students from all over the world. And, uh, you know, they've, they've got all of these, uh, you know, trials that need to be executed by these, uh, these different models. And, you know, I, I have to applaud their, I'm going to use the word audacity because, you know, it's, it's, it, it, this is not a simple thing, you know, airplanes or submarines. Um, but, but to go in with no knowledge and, and just this like innate desire to learn is absolutely, uh, you know, like it, it feels so empowering to, to be able to interact with these, these kids and, and feed off of their excitement and their passion. So yeah, what, what, what you're talking about there is, is something I've been fortunate enough to experience in, in my little world as well. Have you ever seen the, I think it was called the mate. Yep. Mate like ROV. Yeah. yeah. We hosted that at the NBL while I was there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. At, at NASA NBL. Yeah, I was a, a judge one year, and that was really neat too. That was uh, that was uh, fascinating. And like I said, the Dossi, uh, some of the kids, it, it was really impressive. Some of the stuff they did that was mm -hmm. right. really really clever. And, and well, part of it is audacity, I think, and part of it is they're not constrained by knowledge of what's. Impossible. Possible. Exactly. Yeah. You're exactly yeah. right. I, I, I love that. That's exactly right. You know, no, nobody's done it. Well, it, you know, it doesn't mean it can't be done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Elon Musk has entered a chat. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so Bob, I'll have your attention. As I mentioned before, we have uh, Bob Martin joining us from the Nautilus Dry Docks. And your specialty is RC submarines. And things. it's a it's a thing. It's it a really thing. is. And not very many people uh, know that, you know, despite my best efforts. But you tell bit. people that's what you do and they kind of like, really? Yeah, it's not your hobby. It's it's your livelihood. It, it, for me, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm fortunate enough uh, at this at this point in my life to um, have, have built um, you know, my business up, uh, while I had a real job, um, uh, to the point where it was, it was large enough to sustain me. And, and most importantly, I have a very, very understanding wife who is willing to float the idea of me quitting what was at the time a very lucrative position with a very large company, uh, to pursue this, uh, this passion of mine. Wow. Yeah. That's a leap of faith. Uh, <laughs> uh so let's step back a minute. So, how long have you been in the hobby and what really got you started into RC submarines? So I laid down the keel of my first submarine in uh, 1999. So it's been, uh, it's been a minute since I've been working on these. Yeah, things. that's good. Good run. Yeah. Um, and it was something that I was always passionate about ever since I was a kid. I remember doodling, you know, uh, little sketches when I was a kid in, in my sketchbook, you know, probably with crayons, but, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. figuring out, you know, not only what it would look like, but how it would work, you know, what would go into it to make it do all of these things. Um, I, I always had kind of an engineering mindset, even when I was a kid. Um, but finally, I think that the actual impetus of it, uh, and I will forever be grateful. There was a lady in the United Kingdom by the name of Vicki Ford. And this was in 1998 that, that she started her website and she was building, uh, the boat that I had decided to build. And that was the Disney Nautilus from 20,000 leagues under the sea, 1954. Uh, so 
she was was building this thing from scratch and, and most importantly she was documenting it on her website step by step wow and, and yeah i know i mean 1998, back then, 1998 i know yeah. <laughs> lucky i had a computer but but uh so i i'm like you know what this this is my chance i'm gonna i'm just gonna go ahead and do it and i was always you know a month or two behind her because she had a head start on me um but what actually ended up happening she built the the entire master pattern out of wood and uh what ended up happening is uh, people uh, you know convinced her that wood was not a very water friendly material to be building a submarine out of and uh she went into the uh, molding and casting phase of construction to build a fiberglass hull and she fused the master pattern to her molds and the entire project died. And oh. so here I was, I'm like, well, I was following you step by step. <laughs> like, what do I do now? And, uh, you know, I, I did some research. And fortunately, um, one of the most knowledgeable RC submarine uh, uh, participants uh, in, the, in the world, Greg Sharp, lived, happened to live 30 minutes away from me in Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, and wow. so I, uh, I managed to hook up with him and he uh, held my hand and, and guided me through the process of getting my first submarine built. And that was, uh, that was two and a half years that I spent building that boat. Wow. How that answers, uh, sorry to interrupt. That answers a question I had a little earlier when you said out or about, I'm like, wait a minute. He sounds Canadian. <laughs> I still got a little bit in there. My, my yeah, accent yeah. will actually change depending on who I'm talking with. But yeah, I, I was born and raised in uh, Alberta, Canada, and then got some sense in me and moved to a much more beautiful place in Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, and then we moved down to uh, Florida in 2008 during the, uh, the recession. And uh, the kind of the rest is, is history. We lived there for like 13 years and recently relocated to beautiful Woodlands, uh, Texas, and uh, never really looked back. Yeah, it's my neck of the woods now. Yeah, I know. It's, it's fate. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So uh, uh, to answer your, your question, I heard somebody uh, say it earlier on. So that, that model was 132nd scale. So it was... Uh, 66 and a half inches long. Oh, yeah, it was, it was sizable. It was, yeah. it was big enough to, uh, cause you a little, little strain when you picked it up off the bench. Five feet long. Yeah. Yeah. Over five did, feet. Did you have any previous experience with either RC cars or was nothing. all of, so the gear was all completely new to you? I knew less than nothing. I, I was always, you know, I, I always went, to, uh, my, my dad helped uh, when when I was young. I would go to work with him. He was uh, a maintenance uh, person for a, a school for boys, and so I learned woodworking, um, and you know, basic basic uh, electrical and carpentry, and you know, all of those. I was always good with my hands, um, but all of the, the the radio aspect of it was absolutely a new world for me, a brand new world for me. Yeah, I would imagine that the radio gear is a significant challenge with submarines because you have to penetrate the water and there's lots of... Yeah, so um, yes and no. Um, the uh, modern RC airplane guys uh, who are familiar with the, you know, the 2.4 gigahertz or if they're, you know, after range, maybe the 900 megahertz. 
um, they may not be as familiar, but the old timers certainly will remember the, you know, the megahertz band radios. And that is the bread and butter of the RC Samaritan. Uh, so that 72 megahertz will give you decent depth? It will, um, okay. although I am obligated to say legally that that frequency is reserved only for airplanes, so don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 75 megahertz is the uh, ah, right. the uh, FCC approved frequency band for surface and subsurface models in North America. Right. Uh, Don't or you 40 get... megahertz in North, uh, Europe. All right. Don't you get yeah. 27 as well? 27. Uh, yeah, but yeah. you know that that equipment um, is is not as as popular or, or commonly utilized. Hmm. Um, lots of people, not lots of people. Some people you know, with their ham uh, licenses, we'll, we'll use ham frequencies. Um, but, you know, in terms of off-the-shelf utilization, uh, 72, 75 megahertz is is where we need to be. Um, there's a lot of, now, of course, you guys know, as will many of your, your listeners and viewers, um, RC radio manufacturers are not making that stuff anymore, and they haven't for uh, quite a few years now. So... Uh, the issue is that my world is so small that no manufacturer would be willing to make the investment to hold inventory of that old uh, technology in order to support it. And so um, we're kind of forced to do a, a lot of hunting on eBay for, you know, used radios or, you know, um, new old stock radios and that kind of thing. Um, which is okay for right now. Um, what we are doing right now is a lot of research in the 900 megahertz band at higher outputs. So like 500 milliwatts and uh, and one watt uh, output. And uh, there's been some really, really good, uh, you know, uh, results so far in, in duplicating to a certain degree uh, the previously um, attained uh, control of, of sub-aquatic RC so, vehicles. That reminds me, there is a airplane transmitter manufacturer. I think it's either Jetty or Gropner, and they do transmit on both 2.4 and 900 megahertz. They and, they do, yeah. And I wonder if that could be adapted for your use as well. It, it can, and actually, uh, there is a very talented individual who happens to live uh, up in Dallas, uh, Ed Tortle. Again, talking about fate, uh, he used to live uh, up in the Northeast, and at the same time I moved, he moved to Dallas. And so we, we both moved down to the same area, but uh, he was one of the very early adopters of the utilization of 2.4 gigahertz in submarines. Uh, and the, uh, there's an argument for that because obviously um, when you dive a submarine, you can't see it. Right. <laughs> so it, it can become an issue, uh, especially the longer you leave it under the water without being able to see it. Uh, and so his argument is, you know, if you're operating in unknown bodies of water, black water, you know, muddy water, weedy water, you know, things that you're not going to know what's underneath the surface, it's not safe to, to dive terribly deep. And if that's the case, um, you know, operations of the submarine at periscope depth, so with just the tip of an antenna sticking out is perfectly feasible. Uh, and so you simply extend your antenna, you have it poking out of the water and, and you've got that, uh, you know, little uh, uh, bracket of area to uh, to work with. Now, uh, to your point, he's uh, he actually does have a jetty radio uh, and we've been doing some research with some uh, free sky. I believe it's pronounced free sky uh, radios. Um, 
so the same sort of thing. So on the surface, you have a 2.4 gigahertz radio uh, antenna, and then when you go below, it loses free, uh, you know contact. It switches over to the the lower frequency. So there's the really exciting stuff going on in our uh, in our industry right now. Hmm, that's cool. You know, it's funny because you can go on just about any RC swap site on Facebook or whatever. People can't give away 72 megahertz radios. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Some of it's because they're old. They don't have multi-model memory or, you know, dual rates or anything like that. But mostly it's because nobody flies with 72 megahertz anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So they're out there and, and, you know, people have been getting them. Now, what we want is all the bells and whistles. We sure. want the programmability. We want the, the in, embedded fail safes. We want telemetry, you know, we want everything that you guys have and, right. and you know, um, and so that's that's really what the goal is, is can we leverage the current technology and apply it to our uh, our industry? Yeah, I think the fanciest radio when 72 megahertz was popular would be a joke today. In the <laughs> a joke today. <laughs> well, yeah, they I think transmitters got much more capable outside of the frequency change from 72 to 2.4. They just, yeah. they, they progressed with technology. And so, yeah. yeah, if you want a really capable transmitter, you're kind of stuck in that 2.4 or something with modules or like you mm -hmm. guys talked about the dual band. So yeah, that, yep. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, what's interesting uh, about this, what, what I'm passionate about is introducing this hobby into the next generation of RC Submariners. Um, the people that have been doing it up to this point, um, don't want to call them boomers. You know, they're, they're of that generation uh, where working with your hands and investing two and three and 400 hours in a project was normal. You know, I guess you guys would be familiar with this as well. You know, back in the day, right? You know, everybody built their models out of, uh, you know, stringers and, and wooden frames and they they stretched, you know, fabric and doped it. And, you know, and they it took, took on trees themselves, <laughs> whittled it. Yeah, with a knife. But, um, you know, those them days, they are over uh, there. In my experience, there are very few people right now willing to make the investment uh, to, to build a project of that scope. Um, we live, unfortunately, or fortunately, or whatever you want to call it, in, a, in an age of instantaneous gratification. You know, open the box, charge the battery, and, and you're up and running in five and a half minutes. Uh, there's exceptions, obviously, uh, but I, I think as a rule, that's kind of where we're at. Now, unfortunately, because our hobby is so small, you know, there, there are few, if any, manufacturers out there who have a turnkey, out-of-the-box, ready-to-run RC submarine solution that isn't a bathtub toy. There's lots of e cheap eBay toys, you know, that from China, uh, but none of, of, you know, scale fidelity with scale performance and, and that kind of thing. Um, so you're still looking at a tremendous investment of time and energy and resources to get it going. And that's the barrier to entry for our hobby. I see. Hmm. So for somebody who starts out today with zero knowledge, what, what do they need to learn to be able to get their own rig going? <clears throat> so, I mean, there's, there is a lot to learn. So I, I, I always recommend that people have some degree of RC experience, be it a, a 
RC car, an RC boat, you know, something like that. To the point where they understand what is a transmitter? What's a receiver? You know, how does the battery connect? How do I charge a battery? You know, what does the servo do and how does it move stuff around, you know, when it moves the little arm? Um, there's exceptions to that, like me. I didn't know what the heck I was doing when I started, but uh, I, I would say I was probably the exception to the rule um, and, and, and not the rule uh, back then. Today's day and age is, is fortunate for anybody looking to get into it because the information is so much more accessible. You know, talking to the, the early innovators in this industry, um, you know, they, they were literally building their transmitters out of out of electronic components and like vacuum right. tubes and you know whatever it was that was available back <laughs> then yeah yeah, yeah exactly um and and they were corresponding with each other each other with like paper <laughs> and stamps like what? who does this like you know to 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 have a question and have to write a letter and wait weeks and weeks and weeks for somebody to get back to you it's like how do you function but uh they did and, uh, you know, uh, it was it was slow progress, but it was progress and it laid the foundation for where all of us are right now. So, uh, you know, where people are at uh, and, and that accessibility for information is, is, you know, absolutely awesome. You know, YouTube, YouTube alone, you could you could learn, you know, 50 to 60 percent of what you needed to know just by watching YouTube videos. Yeah. Uh, I, I went ahead and, and in an effort to try and make things easier, I wrote a, I wrote a book on RC submarines called called Diving Deep, and you can get that on my website uh, on NautilusDrydocks.com. And it's just a it's just a high level overview uh, about the the hobby, um, basic terminology, and how things kind of go together, and and all of that kind of stuff. So that's a great place to to get started. Yeah, I can vouch for that. I have a copy of the book, autographed by. Mr. Bob, <laughs> nice. There and you it, go. Uh, One day yeah. it'll be worth so much money. Oh yeah, eBay, eBay. but uh, yeah, sure it's, great... it's already appreciated a nickel or two, I think. <laughs> but I do highly recommend it. I, I leafed through it, and I thought it was great for for uh, both uh, inexperienced and experienced people alike. So uh, thanks for doing that. Uh, and you mentioned YouTube. You do have your own YouTube page. And you I do. Yeah. Know what it is. So, it's uh, under RC Sub Guy, and uh, I man, I apologize. I don't even know where I'm at. I think I'm at like forty some odd thousand subscribers to my to my channel, but I've and I've got over five hundred videos. Wow! Uh, that I've, wow! That I've put out over uh, over the years. So, yeah, crank crank those uh, those videos out. Yeah, yeah, I try to catch them. I'm a subscriber, and I try to catch them when I can. It's pretty neat to see all the neat projects you're working on. Uh, you always have something interesting going on in the shop. And I guess we should mention that you do have a shop that people can visit if they're in the Houston area. I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, as a, as a uh, you know, little caption to, to that, I would, I would highly recommend either a phone call or a text in advance. Uh, we're, we're a small business, and we're, we're always out testing boats, picking up supplies, you know, doing stuff. Uh, so I'd hate for you to kind of show up out of the blue and arrive with a locked door. Not, not that we don't go to work, but, you know, we're typically there, but I just don't want you to show up to a locked door. But yes, absolutely. Uh, love, love, love having people out. I will always stop what I'm doing and, uh, and give you the shop tour, um, let you know what we're up to. So is the focus of the business like retail sales or like custom builds? 
it's, it's a little clean? it's a little bit of both. I'd say right now my my product mix is about 50-50. Um, my my real you know product scope is the is the drive modules or watertight cylinders that go into the uh, into the boats. Um, my mission statement, I guess you could call it, would be creating content that will help people uh, understand and appreciate uh, and hopefully be attracted to the hobby. And so I, I try and do that as much as I can. And that. Uh, really, the the only way to do that is through builds because people don't want to see me putting a cylinder together. It's boring. <laughs> they they want to see the cool stuff, you know, like the the Disney Nautilus and and the sea views and you know remote controlled sharks and you know all of these cool things that we get to do. All right. So you mentioned a little while ago um, you were talking about the the depth you would go to really just Periscope depth things like that. So I don't mean this in a bad way. Just it hasn't clicked in my brain yet. I know what's exactly the, what you're going to say, but go ahead. Yeah. What's the appeal when it's underwater? Okay. So the, the appeal of the, of the hobby in general, let's let, I want to talk about that a little bit. <clears throat> Where I see the, the, the RC submarine uh, industry fitting in the hierarchy of RC craft is, is really up near the, near the top. And I, and I don't want to sound, you know, like I'm, I'm being elitist or anything like that, but there is a lot that go into these vehicles. It's not like, you know, uh, slapping some tires on a motor and, and, you know, two channels and you're off to the races. Uh, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. It is one of the most inhospitable climates on the planet and we are operating within it on a regular basis. So where I see this fitting in, this is, this is for people who, um, and, and probably the, the, the best step up path to it are, are the, the RC boat craft, the scale RC boat uh, people. You know, they've done it for probably decades, right? And now they want something different. They, they want to take things to the next level. They want to challenge themselves. Uh, and to a certain degree, there, there is some elitism to it. It's, it's not everybody that can do it. And you know that just by going to the pond, you will not see an RC submarine out there, uh, you know, 99% of the time. So that's really where I see it. And, and what I love about this is, you know, most of the people who are really successful in our hobby they are they're cross-pollinated. So they they're into RC airplanes, they're into RC boats. Um, not so much the cars, but uh, definitely planes and, and boats and submarines. And so it's 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 just sort of this offshoot of it that really challenges your your technical and engineering skills. So that's one half of the answer that I'm that I'm talking about. That's where the appeal comes. It's like, can I do it where so many others can't. Sure. The, the, the second part is in the operational uh, constraints that it that it offers. Now, um, everybody's saying, oh, well, you know, well, why don't you just throw a camera on it? Yeah, you can see under the water and drive it around, you know, like an airplane underneath the water. Well, um, unfortunately, no. Uh, most wireless video cameras are transmitting on high frequency uh, and high frequency does not penetrate water. So, um, you unfortunately will not get wireless video signal uh, to any great degree uh, unless you have an antenna extending above the surface. 
so that does away with that aspect. What I typically do, I just put a high definition video camera on my submarine, I drive it around and I download it afterwards and watch yeah. all the cool footage after I get back home. Um, but the, 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 the operational challenge of driving an RC submarine is, is the second half of where the attraction lies. Uh, you know, to, to dive your submarine using dead reckoning and your experience on heading, depth, and speed to, to figure out not only where it is, but where it's going to be and how it's going to resurface. Uh, that is the skill set that really sets RC submariners uh, apart. Um, I love it when people are like, where is it? I mean, that's why I do this, you know? <laughs> that's what a submarine is all about. <laughs> and you know the answer. Yeah, only you, yeah. Yeah, and until you until you tell them, you're like, okay, look out there, right in front of that tree, draw a line, and up it comes. And nice. sure enough, <laughs> there it is. So related to that, are there any types of competitions that, that you guys do, whether formal or informal? <clears throat> so most get-togethers are, are what we term fun runs. Uh, they're, they're just a bunch of uh, people getting together and having a, a good time talking about stuff, you know, be it submarines or, or other things that they're interested in together, uh, just camaraderie. And you you throw your boat in the water and you just have a good time zipping it around and, and that kind of thing. There are events or and, and more, more commonly, historically, there were events that uh, brought more of a uh, professional air to the hobby. Um, back in the in the heyday of the RC submarine hobby um you know there there could be thousands of people across the united states with operational submarines but you know back to what we talked about earlier you know that demographic of people is literally dying off they are literally dying and you know their their boats are going into you know ebay and and estate sales and ending up on someone's mantle because they look really nice yeah um so the you know, the, the level of professional organization for events like that has sort of died off. It's something I'm trying to get back into right now. I hold an annual event uh, in uh, right now. It's being held in Cahuta, Georgia. It's going to be September 14th to 17th. It's a four day event. Um, we get people from all over the United States uh, who've come in. Uh, we launched it. I launched it in, two, in 2000 and um or 2000, oh. 2020, 2020. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, uh, yet to have, uh, international attendees only because of course this was like in COVID. And so right. everybody was kind of locked down. Um, but to your point, uh, we absolutely have, uh, competitions. Um, we started out with very like competitive competitions, if that makes any sense, you know, first place, second place, third place, uh, but the issue is when you're when you're a newcomer to the hobby, you know, you're not going to step up and go toe to toe with some guy that's been doing this for 20 years and has a boat that he's been working on for a decade and has it tuned, you know, to, within a, a, a half of a gram of proper buoyancy. Uh, so what we've we've switched it to is is something that we call qualifications. And so uh, we do still have competitions. We have the great submarine race, which is kind of like a figure eight demolition derby, which is super fun. I, I and, uh, and, but what, what we've got are these qual qualifications and we came up with, um, uh, maneuvers that any Submariner should be good at. So this could be 
submerged operations, surface uh, operations, docking operations. Uh, and when you do that, you get qualified and you have a, a, a badge and you get you get like, a, you know, the military, you get little ribbons that go underneath it at these uh, events. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's a it's a mark of, uh, of pride. You know, people sure. get pretty serious about making sure they hit all of the quals uh, for for that year. And it becomes much more um, collaborative, you know, people are there to encourage you, not compete against you. So they'll, they'll be standing beside you. You're like, okay, well, throw it back, throw it back. No, 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 no. A little slower through the turn, you know, or, or whatever they need to do for you to, to, to win that, uh, that batch. So it's, it's, it's just a huge amount of fun. We have seminars and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, practical demonstrations and, uh, dinners. And it's just, it's just an amazing time. Cool. So I have more questions, but I feel like I keep stepping on Fitz's toes. So Fitz, throw a question. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of things that crossed my mind. One, uh, when you talked about the the, the challenge and uh, the sense of accomplishment in building the RC subs, that's really what got me into uh, into it as well. Because I I do tinker with RC subs, and I've always had an interest in them, but never too serious. And then, you know, just a few years ago, I, I figured, you know, I really, really want an RC sub. I've been bottle airplanes and, and boats and even cars on and off. And I said, I really would be cool to have an RC submarine. Uh, but I was, I was more attracted to the challenge of it. So that's why my first operational RC submarine was a conversion of a plastic model. Mm -hmm. uh, I just, just, you know, I got on the workbench and said, I wonder what works, what doesn't work. I just throw something together and see how it does. And it, and to my surprise, it did pretty good. It wasn't perfect, but it was, it would dive. It was the feeling when you build something and it dives underwater is, is actually pretty, um, pretty novel. <laughs> when you do it well, you, you, you've got the advantage of being an exceptionally talented individual with a, with a lot of, uh, of experience. So, so uh, don't, don't sell yourself short. Uh, you, you did an amazing job and I've seen one of your boats working in person, I think it was that little typhoon that you brought. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Out that one time, yeah, that was that was really really cool. That typhoon had a long history. I actually bought it while I was in college. Uh, I saw it on the shelf. I said, "Hey, I wonder if that would make a nice little RC boat or something." And I played with it for maybe you know a day or two, and then and stuck it away. And it sat literally for fifteen years or something like that you know mm -hmm. <laughs> in the box and that's that was when I, I saw that i was like you know i need to finish this up and by the time i pulled it out i had i had more knowledge and more experience and so i had, I had to undo a few things i had done with it and uh and the internet was lots of resources on the internet and stuff and i had some old model airplane parts from micro flyers and i just clutched it together and built it and uh it wasn't working when you tried to pop but it actually has a a it's a static diver. It has a working ballast system in it. I, you you I, you talked me through that. I was super impressed with that. <laughs> yeah, it's I, the gears locked up or something because I didn't use it. But yeah, and it actually mostly worked. I had some again some lessons learned about not using large rubber. Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, seals on some of the controls, and so when uh, it pumped the water in, the seals would expand. <laughs> like, okay don't do that <laughs> so that's why the ballast only half work but it was still you know, I, I could still kind of you know you can see it change in ballast in the water as i move the pump in and out yeah it's arranging it out so so i had a lot of fun with that and and i did i didn't you haven't seen it i had a old one of those submarines that were a self-diving toy 
Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it like uh, it would dive and then resurface, and then dive and resurface. Yeah, yeah. That one of them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I clutched it together. I added a working rudder, and I took out the self diving system and put in. I just put a servo on the dive planes, and that thing. I think Terry, you've seen that one uh a long time ago and I, I think it was like my first one and it worked pretty good uh, except that the motor was was designed for like two d batteries or c batteries <laughs> and i had like a uh a two cell lithium and i think it, would, it oh. literally get on plane full <laughs> throttle <laughs> that was one of my very first videos that i put out was a type 7 on plane <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, I totally agree when you, when you said about, um, the, the tinkering and the experimental aspect of it, I, I totally agree. It was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with it and, and I still do it. I've got a couple, you know, things I'm still working on. I got that, get that flying sub working again and yeah. some other things, um, and some larger stuff. I've got some more, I still like to do, I'm weird. I like to do the plastic models. I've actually got a, I guess I never told you about, I have a C view from, was it the Mobius uh, yeah, 39-inch C-View. Mm -hmm. Yes, I got a Mobius C-View, and I've got that horrible, inaccurate Japanese... Um, I-53. Uh, I-53. Uh, there was a guy on... I, I downloaded a bunch of pictures. He converted it to a real live 25 or something. The one with the seaplane uh, launcher. Uh -huh. on it. Mm -hmm. uh, he, had to, he had to basically remold the nose, but he did a really neat job, and it gave me, uh, inspired me. So. so one of these days, I'll get around to it. 20 years whatever. yeah so so what you're talking about and, and i just want to touch on this really quickly you know it's not a cheap hobby to get into obviously but there there are less expensive ways of doing it um you know for example Ravel of germany makes some really really beautiful models that are very conducive to converting to rc and that that's uh things like the the type 7 and 172nd scale uh the gato Oh yeah, there you go. The, <laughs> so if you're if you're if you're a U.S. Sub, submarine fleet boat guy, the 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 Gato Baleo uh, kit that they have oh, yeah, yeah. second is that's a big model, fifty five inches long. Yeah, yeah. I built. It was I was surprised how big for being a plastic model. It was huge. Yeah, yeah, and then you've you've got the uh, the, the skipjack uh, kit in in seventy second scale. You've got the Bronco Type twenty three uh, in one thirty fifth scale. So and all of these kits can be got for like a hundred and Twenty bucks, you know, or or something like that, uh, and they're completely uh, uh, conducive to conversion to beautiful RC submarines. Now, they're are they going to be super durable? Well, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> you know, they're styrene plastic, and there's lots of little greebly bits sticking out of them. But uh, you know, if you're looking at a less expensive way of getting into it, that's one way of potentially going about it. Um, the other one, and and I'm sure you guys have. I've seen this in your industries, 3D printing. Uh, it's huge right now for, for us in, in our industry. Um, a lot of really talented people. And it's something I've, I've glommed onto as well, creating 3D files so that people can 3D print their own RC submarine, you know, hulls. Now, you can't just like hit print and print your own, you know, electronics module with all the stuff in it. But um, at least the hull portion of it is much more accessible now that this 3D printing technology uh, is becoming so mainstream. Uh, it's it's really, you know, to the to the uh, eternal uh, grumpiness of the previous generation, uh, lamenting the death of the traditional craftsman. Uh, it's really a game changer. You know, it's it's opened it up to almost anybody.
Yeah, I think in a way that may draw more of the younger crowd in the 3D printing thing. I think yeah, you know, that could get their interest and say, "Hey, I can now print my own boat in any size I want." Yeah, and then they just you know confer with you to get the all electronic goodies for. It. But at least it's a start. They can. It is, and and the that. and the beauty of it, which is crazy to me, you know, like I. I offered these little, uh, uh, if you're familiar with the, the German Seehund, it was a midget submarine. It was a, a like a two person crew, uh, German submarine, um, uh, very, very small. And the, the model was like yay big, uh, you know, say maybe 28 inches in overall length. But I've had people scale it up to like six feet in length <laughs> and, and print it uh, out. Uh, I think the biggest one that I've heard of so far uh, super talented guy by the name of Steve Hodges uh, in uh, in the Carolinas. There, uh, 3D printed was like a nine foot long arsenal oh, submarine. We're, uh, we're talking something. I think he, oh gosh, what did he? It was twenty two hundred hours of print time. Wow. <laughs> I, I yeah. don't know if you know, um, here in the Clear Lake area, we, there's a company called Re3D, and they specialize in large format 3D printers. Oh, like okay. Types. Yeah, I mean, big. Like you could print like a person. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and they, they sometimes they have open houses and stuff. You can visit some pretty impressive work. So yeah, I can totally see people really building, printing some large stuff just, just because. Yeah, yeah, and that's on kind of on my you know to do list at some point too is to start is the three D print uh, something. I think I got some files already, just uh, something unusual or something big or whatever. Just just uh, just because I printed a. Um, it was a hydrofoil boat I found on Thingiverse. I printed oh, it, yeah. mm -hmm. drove mm -hmm. it around a little bit. Yeah, I've, I've taken it out to my boat floats every once in a while. Uh, but that was it, just a simple FDM. But it worked, and it was pretty neat. Uh, so there's a whole world out there for you. And it I, is. And, would, would, I, would I be able to share out my, my screen? I've, I've got sure. a couple of, of pictures here. Go right ahead. Uh, Click screen. present. Yeah. And I had another kind of question that you touched on something else. I don't know if you yeah. want now or later. Um, maybe you can touch on it later. Is that we've talked about these conversions and things? Is that something you offer? Some sort of say um, conversion kit or uh, a beginner's thing? Somebody says, "Hey, uh, either I want to start with RC submarine or I have this plastic model. Do you have some guts I can stick in there? Anything like yeah, that?" Yeah. About? So. So the, obviously the most important, or important, it, well, important, yeah, <laughs> and expensive part is the is the watertight cylinder that drives everything, um, and and really the the product offering that I have can be customized almost any subject. Now I do not do the really really tiny boats, uh, so unfortunately I like I wouldn't be able to make a cylinder for that that Type Seven that you have on the back shelf there because that requires like a a little two inch diameter watertight cylinder. Um, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention an individual by the name of David Merriman III, who really, yeah, yes. who really um, brought the world of RC submarines into uh, the, the commercially reachable um, uh, scope of, of people. Uh, he, he commercially manufactured conversion kits and, and watertight cylinders, whereas before it was very much people in their garages, you know, building for themselves and friends. Um, and, and he is, you know, kind of known as the, not the original godfather, but like the second godfather of RC submarines uh, <laughs> right now. Godfather? Certainly, certainly one of the most experienced uh, individuals in that arena, uh, professional model builder. He worked on, you know, like Hunt for Red October and like all of these movies, special effects miniatures that were used in, in 
those uh, in those movies. Um, but what what he did uh, is exactly what you're talking about. Actual like conversion kits now. Is there something that I manufacture where it's like a turnkey, like here's everything that you need down to the nut and bolt to convert this, you know, kit into a functional model? I, I don't. David did at one time. The issue was the expense of producing those kits exceeded by a considerable margin the cost of the actual kit itself. So it was more expensive for all the little greebly uh, bits and pieces to convert it than it was for the actual model kit. Not inclusive of the watertight cylinder, just the, the rudders and biplanes and brackets and bulkheads and you know linkages and you know all of those things. Uh, super, super labor intensive. Uh, you know, not because each individual part was expensive to manufacture, but because there was like a hundred of them in order to do it properly. So the the short answer is I've I've got things that will help. The long answer is uh, I don't have everything that would make it easy. Um, but hopefully, you know, with with people like me and other experts, uh, you know, in your corner, uh, you can you can do it. It's absolutely doable, even with the stock pieces in those plastic kits. So it's not turnkey. There's still a, a minimal level of DIY involved, but. Correct. Yeah, I to I I think the only turnkey kit that I can recall that was a bona fide RC submarine was put out by uh, a, a kit or by a manufacturer called the Thunder Tiger, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and they came out with a kit called the Neptune back in the day, oh, and it familiar. was yeah. it had a, a a peristaltic pump based ballast system. Yeah. It, the, the watertight compartment was made out of quarter inch thick acrylic. I swear to God, this thing, you could probably dive it like 400 feet deep and it would be completely <laughs> fine. But it, it was way over engineered. It was really well put together, a beautiful performer. And they were selling it, I think at the time it was like $600, which is wow. unheard of in, in the RC submarine world. And unfortunately, they kept packing more and more features into it until now. I think the same equivalent kit that they're putting out is, is I think they call it the Seawolf is like $3,000. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, a it's a little harder to chew on, but yeah. uh, you know, still, still there, but you know, lots of, not lots uh, you know, the other manufacturers out there, um, some of them do an exceptionally good job, such as angle of Germany uh, or Maximus Madelbau out of Germany for, giving you very comprehensive kits with excellent instructions uh, that you could follow and build a, you know, a submarine from start to finish. Um, but those manufacturers are few and, and far between. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, we were interrupting. Are you going to show us some stuff? Yeah, well, okay, I can try it. We'll see if this works. Uh, let me know if and when you can see that screen. Oh, got it. Something. There we go. Yes. There we go. So this is the Ravel of Germany. Uh, 172nd Gato plastic model kit, um, 55 inches in overall length. It's an absolutely beautiful size for RC, exceptionally well detailed. Um, right. But again, a plastic model kit that really lends itself well to um, RC conversion. Here's another one. Um, yay! yay! Uh, that's the the flying sub for sort of people of who are a little longer in the tooth maybe than others. <laughs> the voyage to the bottom of the sea from the 1960s that's the the flying sub that was birthed in the in the sea view from that uh television and, and movie series but i i created a conversion kit uh for that plastic model kit that works really really well 
Um, I wanted to show you some of these like older, this, these are like piston tanks that Engel of Germany put out like back in the eighties, the really? 1980s. Wow. Um, we were talking, these are the guts we were talking about. Like, look at that <laughs> yeah. thing. Like, wow. <laughs> well, thanks for something. Wow. Oh, that, wow. That's uh stone eyes and bear skins, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the things that, um, was, you know, back in the, uh, in the day, um, talking about 3d printing, um, oh, and the sea view, this, this is like a seven foot long model of the, oh, of wow. the sea view from 20, uh, from voyage to the bottom of the sea. And it's is all that the docking bay too. Speaking of flying. It sea. is. Yeah. That's the bay underneath. I offer these files on my website actually. Um, this is a little kit that I put out. This, this has, this I'm really proud of. This is a, a German Type 212 uh, in 72nd scale. It's a nice size. You can tuck it under your arm. You can bring it to the pond. Uh, Fitz, you've seen this at the, at the, the get-together. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, the black one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that's exactly it. So um, you can buy it either in full kit form, which is just all the bits and pieces, and then I've made a, a full video instruction series where you follow through step-by-step -step to build it. Or you can buy it with the electronics module assembled, and you just do the rest of it. Or you can buy it fully assembled, ready to go, um, out of the box, charge it up, and away you go. Yeah, it looked like a lot of fun to drive around. It was very sprightly when I saw it. It is very fun. Yeah, very fun. Um, I just want to pick out just a couple of other interesting things that we're working. This is something we're working on right now. Wow. So articulated, is that a shark, right? That is a yeah, great sure. white shark. Yeah. And uh, this was based off of a little um, toy that I found on Amazon. And so the, the pectoral fins will have thrusters. And as you move the thrust left and right, the, the shark swims through the water in a very <laughs> uh, frightening, uh, <laughs> realistic manner. So we're, we're excited to get this yes. thing. I was going to say, you can have a lot of fun with that at the beach. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, and you can go as cra as crazy as you want. Like, for example, this little guy here, this is a little blue back in, in 196 scale. It's like 22 inches long or something like that. Um, or, uh, you know, for, for people with the penchant, uh, there's this guy. And, and again, Fitz, you've seen this one. This is uh, 10 feet long. Uh, yeah, that's... U.S. Boleo. Yeah, that one... Uh, uh... Talk about some of the features that one has. That one that really maxed out your radio, didn't it? It, it did, yeah. Um, and and probably just because I was as you know naive in terms of radio capabilities um, compared to, to you guys. But this this had I, I believe it was fourteen individual functions. Uh, so the, the the bow planes would uh, retract, periscopes, uh, spinning radar, lights, sound. The guns would swivel. Um, it had functional sound, it had functional exhaust. Um, yeah, lots and lots and lots of stuff going on with this thing. Yeah, um, it was so big, you needed uh, uh, to, uh, like a ladder on wheels. What was it, some sort of carriage? To yeah, yeah, there was a, it was a 10 foot extension ladder that we converted into a uh, into a, a, a carry uh, crate. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just fun stuff. Like I, we, we did this as a, as a, a promotional thing um, for breast cancer awareness. It was a, a permit class submarine that we painted pink 
uh, and we and we auctioned off and it went really really well oh nice so um you know oh how did i do that that was fancy i don't know that's pretty cool <laughs> two screens at once yeah um but the you know the venue so you can see the water is super clear here um and where is that this was up in in dallas at the they're at a quarry oh really wow yeah yeah and uh which is for weird for texas i don't know if if you know you're from everybody's from texas or not but uh usually we are operating in mud <laughs> yeah. on a good day yeah yeah um yeah. whoa what the heck am i doing here i don't know can we there, oh, there we go there you go there check check yeah, and you can get as big as you want so this is like the the granddaddy version of that little 212 that i was, ah, I was right. talking about <laughs> earlier on really um, looking. yeah but fun stuff ah! like, oh i know a, what that is steampunk submarine oh um, this was based oh, I, uh, well, go ahead. You, you probably know what it is. Yes, this is from uh, a different color, but um, from Stingray, Mary yeah. yep. Jerry Anderson's. Jerry Anderson. Yeah. Uh, so the, the the I based it off of that kit, then I converted it into kind of a steampunky, uh, fishy looking deal. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Is that the missile coming out of the mouth, like? Uh... That was this was the access hatch, and so uh, the the diver would come out, and there was an actual functional operating iris portal inside that yeah. he could step through and and walk down out. Uh, so for those of you listening, make sure that you check out the video so you can see this thing. It's pretty. Yeah, all all of this stuff is is on my channel somewhere. I I wouldn't be able to tell you where exactly, but um, I've I've just been super fortunate to to have had the opportunity to to build boats for amazing people. You know, I've, I've built for, for, you know, famous actors and, and actresses and, and music composers. Um, I've had a chance to work with the department of defense with the, you know, national science foundation. Um, one of the funnest things that I ever did, I, I worked with NASA uh, and I created a functional prototype of, of the Titan turtle, uh, uh, an ROV that they were going to send to Titan uh, to, oh. to swim in the methane oceans there. Uh, so I've, I've, I'm just blessed to have been wow. able to have uh, done all of these really, really cool things over the course of my, um, you know, a, I guess you could call it a career, but my, uh, my life in this little, little world of RC submarines. Oh, that's pretty cool. All right. Can I get to my other questions now, Fitz? I think, well, I have one, one other question real quick. Right, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. What is, what is, uh, your most popular sub or type of sub or what seems to be uh, the hot thing? Yeah. So, so that is so personal. And and this is one of the questions that I ask people when they're just getting started, they're like, well, what boat should I get? And then my answer to that is always, what is the boat that you are most passionate about? Don't buy wow. something just because it's cheap. You know, don't buy something just because it performs well, buy it because you look at it and you're like, that is a cool boat. Uh, and when that happens, you know, uh, when it, when it, when you're, when you're, when your you know, momentum gets stalled in the build, it'll yeah. be much, much easier to come back to it when you're looking at it on that shelf saying, God, that thing is so cool. I have to get that built. Then, eh, you know, maybe there's something else out there <laughs> for me. Um, and obviously you're limited by what's out there, um, you know, to, to, to build, but you know, that is always the best place to start. If, if you're passionate about a boat, 
um, exhaust that path first and uh, and and pursue the other ones afterwards. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, for me, it's World War II. I think the World War II boats are the most interesting because they got so much going on with them. They uh, do, yeah. All the guns. I, I, I agree with you. All right, that's, sorry, that's, Terry. that's a matter of personal preference. You know, oh, you'll, sure. you'll get a yeah. lot of people who are only they only want the, the modern ones. And and obviously doing what I do, I, I work a lot with, you know, Navy veterans, you know, people who served on these boats. And, yeah. and you know, when they when they, they spent, you know, eight years on a, on a Los Angeles class submarine, it's kind of hard to sell them on a Gato. You know, what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this next question I'm going to ask comes out of my own ignorance. So in the airplane world, people are often confused why people like Fitz and I have 50 different airplanes. And when we explain, well, they're all a little bit different, they don't understand those subtle qualities that we can mm -hmm. appreciate. So I feel like I have the same lack of understanding of submarines. You talk about one performing better than another. What are the mm -hmm. characteristics that say this submarine performs better or differently than another? And, and that is so much a matter of personal preference. So obviously, if you if you take a look at things from a physics perspective, the, the aforementioned World War II boats, you know, they were primarily designed as surface craft that could dive. Right. Okay. It was like, oh, there's the bad guys. I'm going to I'm going to dive and shoot some torpedoes and try and sneak away before they get me uh, versus the modern equivalent that spends, you know, 98 percent of the time submerged. Uh, and so typically what you'll see is. Um, in my opinion, you know, those older boats, they just look so much cooler. Uh, you know, there's so much to, to look at and the, the profile on the water is beautiful. Um, the other thing that they've got going for them, typically the control surfaces are mounted behind the propellers, which would gives you actually increased maneuverability over modern counterparts. They'd stop doing that because it's noisy to do that. Right. You know, all of that turbulent water flowing over the control surfaces made them louder and easier to detect. And so they moved them in front. But now when that happens, you have to be moving along at a really fast pace in order for them to be effective. And so you'll find a, a decrease in maneuverability and, and response in the modern boats, but they'll be fast uh, and, and sleek. So um, it's always a you know trade-off. Everything is about compromise, right? There's no perfect answer out there. It all just kind of goes back to what, what do you value more in your model? You know, is it looks better, has more stuff to it, performs better, is faster, you know, wherever that checkbox lies, that's the, the path that you would need to end up uh, going down. And there's ways to cheat. There's, there's ways to cheat too. You know, you can, you can always, uh, you know, tweak things uh, outside of scale to, to compensate for some of the, you know, lackings of a particular design, but Okay. Yeah. You're reading my mind. That was going to be my next question. Cause very often with scale model airplanes, you might increase the size of the stabilizers to make it fly better at a, a smaller size. So mm -hmm. apparently there's similar tricks you can do with submarines. Typically you're going to see a lot of clear plastic glued onto rudders. That's, that's typically <laughs> what ends up happening. <laughs> you know, you, you get these, you know, like the, the, the old Russian boats, you know, like the alphas and the, and the uh, Kulas, they, they are like missiles. They go so fast, but their rudders are like this big. <laughs> and so they don't turn worth a darn. And so you'll have these big sheets of plastic glued to the lower rudders in a, in a lot of cases to help uh, get those things turning the way that they should. 
that's right. exactly the problem with my typhoon it, it it has terrible turning unless i dive it and then the the, the top part of the rudder is underwater and it actually uh, you know will turn <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 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 exactly i was it's and the beauty of it is is you know there's such a long history it's it's almost as long as aviation obviously actually maybe longer, uh, longer. of oh, yeah. rc submarines or submarines in general sorry uh, and so you've you've got this massive spectrum of different designs and, and characteristics and materials and you know each one is is just its own story. So um, you know depending on on what you want, you know you'll find it. But there's something out there that will absolutely you know appeal to you. All right, oh, that's cool. Now something that you hinted on earlier is the the size of the sub community. So in the airplane world, we are always commenting on how intimate th that world is. It's rare that one of us goes to event, an event and doesn't either know somebody there that we didn't know was going to be there, or we talk to somebody and we find out that we have a common friend. There's The, the threads are woven very tightly there. So mm -hmm. I would imagine it's even smaller for subs. And you were talking about somebody who's in the special effects community. Um, so we mm -hmm. had a guest not long ago, Steve Neal. We had him yeah. on because he does airplanes, but then we got into some sub talk as well. Yeah, I know, I know Steve really well. well you bet. You yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I'm going to take a guess here right now. I, I would say right now, and this is just a, a, an educated guess on my part, Worldwide, globally, the, the number of people who own a functional RC submarine is probably right at about a thousand. Oh, wow. It's wow. <laughs> an elite club. You know, there's lots of people in, in situ, you know, who have half completed right. projects, who are, know about the industry, who attend events. But in terms of people who have a fully functional, capable RC submarine in their possession, I, I would say you know, maybe I'm off by a factor of five, right? Maybe it's 5,000 people. It is not a large amount. And, um, you know, in the, in the online community, it's, it tends to be the same people, uh, you know, frequenting the same places at all times. And certainly within the North American community, um, there are certain you know, characters that are, are exceptionally well-known. So to your point, yes, it is a very intimate uh, community. Um, I would say it used to be a lot more, <clears throat> you know, may, maybe I could use the word elitist, you know, uh, information was maybe held a little bit closer, you know, cause you want to be the only guy. Right. right. But I think the, <laughs> I think the, the, the general consensus now or the, or the trend, um, is, is information sharing. And, oh, and I think good. people are far more open to, to doing that right now. And uh, some people are better at it than, than others, but uh, as a, as a rule, just a, just a super supportive and, and open and, and uh, uh, warm community to be part of. Oh, awesome. So I have mentioned on the show before, I have an interest in getting involved with subs. The scale aspect of it, while I can appreciate, it doesn't really excite me to participate in that. Mm -hmm. What I'm looking for is like a, a sport thing. And like you were mentioning before with a camera, not necessarily a live feed, but something that I've got a lake behind my house with clear water. I just want to go down there and see what's at the bottom of the lake and find some golf balls to pull. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
is there something like that 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 is available for me or a path that's not overly burdensome? Yes. And so I, I'd say there's a couple. So there, there are some exceptionally um, awesome, uh, call them ROVs. Uh, obviously, yeah. you, you know what those those are, uh, sure. tethered tethered boats. And those will okay. give you live feed. And they've got RC grappling arms and spotlights and auto hover mode and like all sorts of like amazing things. Uh, I've owned a couple over the course of my career, and they're, they're a lot of fun to play with. Um, you know, people in, in our you know, world or scale world, they, you know, they kind of, there's a little bit of a scoff to it because it's like open up the box and charge up the batteries and throw it in the water, you know, kind of thing. But they'll also be the first ones who are like, Hey, can you send your ROV down to get my boat? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> there's a few of those floating around for sure. Um, so I, in terms of fun, um, you know, and, and if you're into that explorational thing that I would absolutely go that way. And I've got, you know, videos of, of homemade ROVs um, using bilge pumps for thrusters and, and just running a, a cable up with a security camera mounted in the, in the bow. Um, so if you're a do it yourselfer kind of person, you could, you could probably build one for like a hundred bucks or something oh, like wow. that. Um, just, you know, PVC pipe and, and some bilge pumps. So that is, is certainly something that would be doable. Um, for those, there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, scoff a little bit at the RC boating community that aren't into the fast electrics or hydrofoils and that kind of thing. You know, it's like, it's too boring. It's too slow. Um, so there's some RC subs like my little 212, for example, it will leap out of the water. So if you want something that will, you know, uh, keep your, you on your toes in terms of controlling it. Um, in an underwater environment, there's there's options for that out there as well. If you if you want that adrenaline filled uh, operational experience, that that exists as well. But most of the boats out there are scale representations of full sized craft, and you will not see typically uh, you know a, a, a U boat uh, breaching out of the water. <laughs> right. Yeah. I suspect what would happen is if I turn the key on this one day and get the sports ship I'm thinking of, that's going to turn me on to the scale side of it. And um, I think so. Yeah. You'll, you'll see, you'll, you'll get exposed to more, more people, more boats. And, and it, honestly, you, you start to appreciate, you know, the other aspects of the hobby. You know, when you're, when you're walking around all the tables and you're like, God, that is so cool. Yeah. I had similar experiences with RC sailboats for so long. You could look at them, man, that's pretty cool, but doesn't sound like fun. And then I drove one one day and wow, it was really cool. And so now I've got a couple that I do here. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with the RC rock crawlers, like they go so oh, yeah. slow. What's the appeal? But wow, it's really fun to, to do that stuff. So, and it's technical, right? You know, operating yeah. them is absolutely, you know, mentally engaging. Right. Yeah. I thought you just pull the trigger and it goes over whatever rocks, but no, there's really technique and strategy to, to make it do the right thing. Mm -hmm. so, and I had no appreciation for that until I tried it and sucked at it and, then, <laughs> and realized kind of going back to your initial point with submarines, it's fun because it's challenging. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, that was, it's also an appeal for me and almost all the airplane stuff I do. And if I think about it, most of the RC toys that I have challenge me in some way. Yeah. So, so there, there, there was the comment made earlier. I believe it was Fitz. He was asking like, what's, what's the first boat I recommend? Get a boat 
that you feel comfortable picking up and dropping on the floor. <laughs> yeah. I'm being serious here because no, your, your no. first boat is going to, is going to have the, the, you know, the, the heck kicked out of it. Um, just because you're, you're not familiar with, you know, the operations. I, I had a, a good friend, a good customer out of California whom I built a, a little German 212 for, um, got it all primed and beautiful, brought it to Subfest where he operated it for the first time. And by the time that boat left, all of the paint had been stripped from the bottom and all of the periscopes had been sheared off of the top, but he had a blast. So, you know, anything that you can put in the water that is, uh, you know, bulletproof uh, that you can just have fun and, and uh, you know, run into things with without feeling terrible about is probably the best first boat that you can get. A lot, of, a lot of people make the mistake of being like, oh, I want the, you know, the $5,000, seven foot long scale, you know, perfect museum replica of a German type 7C, you know, with operational this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, you know, either they lose interest in it or they get it and they're too scared to operate it. Uh, yeah. That, that I, I, I can't tell you the number of projects I've picked up from people who built them to an exacting standards, but who would not ever run them because they were too scared of losing it. <laughs> We've seen that in the model airplane world too on occasion. Yeah, both parts. People who build airplanes are afraid to fly. And also, and this is super common, people who start out, they want a P-51 or an F-16 as their first airplane, <laughs> when, when really they're much better off with something expendable that's going to be yeah. gentle for them. Yeah, yeah, a foam Cessna or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting that it happens in the sub world too. It's absolutely it does. Absolutely yeah. it does. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked by all the the parallels we're finding here because you talked about the the traditional builders having some sort of angst against the the people who take the shortcuts. Shortcuts. Um, same thing with builders of RC planes, and then when ARFs came in or when foamies came in, mm -hmm, they, mm -hmm. they weren't real modelers. <laughs> um, so, but I think I hope most people by this point appreciate that those easier options introduce uh, new people into the pool because when the only option was you had to be a master builder to get into it you had to be a jack of all trades you had to be a master builder and also somebody who could fly a plane or operate a sub but now you don't have to be a master builder you can you can be a great pilot and maybe there were people who were super great pilots, but not great builders. So yeah, the, yeah. the overlap is much greater and we're all it's, the better it's, for it's it. What, it's, what, it's what we term, you know, what our hobby lacks is the gateway drug. You know, we, right. we need those uh, ARFs, you know, or, or, or ARTRs or whatever the terminology is um, to hook this, this new generation of people. Because after they play with those for a year or two years, you know, their, their confidence level rises, their, you know, ability level increases and uh, the, the opportunities for them to expand their skill set to the point where they can start building things on their own now becomes a possibility. And, and that's not going to be true for everybody. You know, there's going to be people who's like, they're just going to keep buying, and, you know, buying foamies, you know, they'll just go through them like Tic Tacs, but, you know, right. whatever, <laughs> there's, there's, there's room for those people as well. So a common theme with RC airplanes is it's not a question of if it's going to crash, but only when. So is there something like that with submarines? Like how yep. often does one end up in the bottom? 
So yeah, it's it, it, that's always the thing. It's like um, it's it's if not when or wait when not if. Yeah. Uh, it'll it will happen to you eventually. If you've run a submarine long enough, you will end up with it at the bottom of whatever body of water it is you've been operating in. I was fortunate in that you know in doing it for so many years, I could count probably on on one hand the number of times that I've lost a boat to the point I had to get wet to go get it, um, which is not common, by, by the way. And, and I'm not saying that I'm, it's because I'm any good, but it's maybe it's just I was operating in better water or whatever. But um, there's a lot of uh, things that can be done to help mitigate that risk. Uh, fail-safe systems that will, for example, automatically bow ballast or uh, you know marker buoys or sonar buoys and like all sorts of things that can be done to help recover craft in the case uh, that, that when they go down. I would say it's pretty rare to, to, to lose a boat permanently. Usually it's, it's uh, misplaced, not lost. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> like I, I misplaced my submarine for a few days <laughs> while, the di- while the divers found it. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's not like an airplane where it's like, whoops, my finger slipped and now I'm trucking a, you know, wheelbarrow full of splinters uh, back home to my house, you know, okay, you know, it flooded or whatever. Typically it can be salvaged. Um, You'll, you'll get it back home. You'll dry it out. Maybe you need to replace, you know, a component here or there, but it will live to dive another day. Exceptions, obviously, um, you know, people operating in a 200 foot deep rock quarry, you know, they're asking, they're asking for it when they, when they're they lose Lake the Tahoe, which is a thousand feet deep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, the, it, it, it will happen. Something will happen. Either it'll end up stranded in the middle of the pond and someone will have to go out and get it, you know, with their tugboat or another submarine trying to push it ashore or typically, you know, you'll dive and it won't come back up. And then you, it's a little bit of a, of a, of a search party to recover it, but it's all part and parcel of the of the experience. I would rather do that than take the aforementioned wheelbarrow full of parts home in, sure. the, in the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point. yeah. All right. I've got just one question left. But Fitz, am I, am I standing in your way of asking anything? No, no, go ahead. You're good. Okay. So Fitz talks about boats and submarines fairly often. And every time the topic of submarines comes up, Lee and I challenge him to get something that shoots torpedoes and he hasn't come through for us yet. So what can you do to get him down that road? So um, in terms of operational features that have been successfully uh, implemented in an RC submarine, uh, operational torpedoes have been done to death in many, many scales, electric versions, gas versions, even rocket propelled versions. <laughs> we've had, we've had uh, operate like live functional depth charges, uh, fully functional oh, yeah. rocket powered missiles, pneumatic missiles, water powered missiles. Um, we've had GPS, you know, controlled boats. We've had autonomously controlled boats. Um, operational periscopes, uh, you know, like all of these things have been successfully implemented in the past. You know, the only limit to what you can do 
is uh, is your own uh, experience and, and capabilities and how deep your pockets are. That is literally the only thing limiting what you can do with these boats. And torpedoes, honestly, are, are probably one of the least um, technically challenging things that, that uh, could potentially be implemented. The reason that you don't see them more uh, is that because one of the most successful technologies for, for launching and propelling them is compressed gas. Uh, and now when you are start talking about compressed gas torpedoes, basically you're talking about a small pressure vessel um, and the uh, odds of uh, accidental um, explosion <laughs> potentially goes up, um, mistimed launches and that kind of thing. So from a manufacturer's perspective, and I fall into this bucket, uh, the liability is very, very high. And so uh, you know, putting out a commercial kit for uh for torpedoes is um problematic uh I'm, i am working on a system right now and i'm willing to take the risk provided people will sign the paperwork before they purchase um but there 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 are lots of uh of really great examples out there of of um, successfully implemented um weapons of mass destruction gotcha so what you're saying is it's easy and Fitz is lazy. He should have done it by now. <laughs> All right. So you saw me get up for a second. I do. Yeah, you have... like you're being attacked by bees. <laughs> no, um, I have a. This is a 3D printed torpedo that uh, uh, actually Jeff's father had had was tinkering with because he has a PT boat. Oh, and right. He was talking about torpedoes, and he said, "Hey, you got a submarine? I can print out some at a smaller scale." Uh, so he had, he gave me a few samples, some different sizes. I wasn't sure which size. So he said, here, try this and this and this one. So it is something on the back of my mind I've been working on. I've actually been thinking about uh, powering how I would run them. Um, uh, I was actually thinking of an electric motor on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Put a single cell lipo in there. Uh, well, not even a lipo. I, I think uh, we could probably use a capacitor. Oh, right. Yeah. And a yep. single uh, Search for uh, Dan Catcher, DK Models. Uh, he will show you exactly how to wire those up in his excellent video uh, showcasing them successfully being implemented in his German Type 7. All right. Oh, same thing I have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a little, little capacitor gets charged up, a little pager motor, and it goes for about three or four seconds. And yeah, that's all you go. That's yeah, it. Fantastic. So I'll do it. I'll work on it. Cause, yeah, because right. I seen somebody was able to shove a launcher into that Type Seven, so I might do that. Especially now, actually, uh, that 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 uh, in the same scale, the, the that that Gato class submarine, uh, David Merriman implemented not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six <laughs> fully operational torpedo <laughs> tubes wow. in that boat Good that fired that fired on the most intricate like like clockwork mechanism from a single servo a single wow. servo did all that yeah that's, that's impressive yeah all right wow. so if this has already been done then fits your challenge is icbms icbms <laughs> 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 who am i attacking uh, it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> who you got no how about a homing torpedo there you go Right. So I've I've done uh, RC torpedoes. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I built a, that that seahood submarine that would actually so it would uh, the torpedoes were fairly large they're about that big but it, it would launch uh, each one of those individually and I'm working on a big one right now 
So you'll have the main submarine controls and then a separate controller that will allow you to launch and steer each of the two torpedoes individually. Oh, neat. Oh, <laughs> Fantastic. So Fitz, what type of submarine did you say the one is in Chicago? A type nine? Yeah, it was a type nine. Okay. okay. Yeah, on our Captain. recent, maybe not the last one, but the one before, I talked about my visit to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, where, oh, the, yeah. where mm -hmm. they have the captured U-boat. So, yep. yeah, super interesting to see that up close. Yes. Yeah. All right, Fitz, I'm out of questions. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think I'm out of questions too. Um, uh, speaking of submarines, I was thinking back really the first time I saw an RC submarine, and being a Connecticut Yankee, it was at the uh, Groton Submarine Base. They used to hold uh -huh. an event there. I don't know if they still do it or not, but they used to they hold do. Event. It was just uh, just took place May twentieth. Was it? They still do that. They oh, still wow, do it. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it was, I had heard about it and I, at the time I lived up there, so I, I popped down to the base cause I've been there and, and it was a cool thing to see. This was in the nineties, early nineties, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. and it was just neat to see RC submarines of all types. It was just a fascinating event. So, uh, so, so then days they are done, uh, obviously with, uh, I think it was after nine 11 base access was completely cut off. And so yeah, you had sense. to actually pre-register in order to get access oh, okay. yeah, uh, in the last couple of years, uh, because I am not a full citizen, I was rejected from oh. attending, um, unfortunately. So oh, sorry to hear that. Hopefully next year it'll, it'll be back to, to normal again. But this last year, um, they held the same event at the uh, at that Groton um, pond, and as part yeah. of the deal, uh, they all of the attendees got to take a guided tour of a Virginia class nuclear submarine. Oh, nice! Oh, neat. Wow, wow! Yeah, and it, it never been to the place. There is a uh, there's a submarine museum right yes before. it's so, amazing if you if is. you have the chance to go it is absolutely amazing and you can walk go through the first nuclear submarine the nautilus mm -hmm. <laughs> is there for for you to walk around and a bunch of other stuff uh also there was there's a big submarine event somewhere in the upper midwest right Chicago? uh coming up in in august uh carmel indiana indiana is, okay. the, is the next one yeah it's, that looks like uh, a really nice pod have you been to that one Carmel Reflecting Pond. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's like three feet deep, crystal clear water, um, big fountain in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. It's, a, it's a great time. Yeah, it looks like they get a pretty good crowd there too, from some of the pictures I've seen. They do. It's a nice central uh, location. Yeah, yeah. The Indianapolis Admirals uh, do that in conjunction with the uh, subcommittee. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we're back to another small world topic. So. We're familiar with the Indy Admirals and Fitz, um, Scott Black, who we've had on the show. He's part of the Indy Admirals. He also oh. does the sailplane stuff and he's at the Nats with Lee and next month. So, well, everybody knows everybody. Just it is. Family. Six so, degrees of separation. Yeah. So, Bob, <laughs> you, just, you just touched on, I guess we should mention, there is a, a, a I don't know if it's international, but at least a, a, a North American organization called the Subcommittee. Uh, yes, I was. I was going. remiss in not in not mentioning it, um, which is kind of funny because I'm the president of the of the subcommittee. <laughs> oh, really? Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> just just so happens. We're of duty here. So it, it's uh, yeah, it's it's um, 
it's a group of individuals who have a passion about submarines and and you know it could be anything about submarines uh you know memorabilia computer games but typically uh what it trended towards was was the rc aspect of uh, of submarines um so that uh, uh is absolutely out there i recommend it for anybody as a resource if you're interested in submarines at all uh they have a a uh a publication that comes out called the subcommittee report comes out every four months. It is absolutely a world-class publication uh, talking with, with articles about submarine history, um, you know, again, memorabilia, build articles, uh, you know, uh, historical stories. It's, it's the most amazing thing. Um, Jeff Porteous is an individual who, who spearheads that um, publication. And it is, uh, as I mentioned, world class in uh in its content yeah it's pretty neat I, I have a bunch of issues in fact i that um typhoon sub was an article i submitted some years ago oh there you go yeah i, I have an article published in the magazine a published uh, author look at that <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah i totally agree the magazine is totally awesome it's really cool to see it is and, it's it, it is a membership is ten dollars a year is it only 10? Okay. Absolutely. I my lapse. I need to rejoin then. That's, that's it would absolutely be worth it. Uh, uh, I'll do that. Four, uh, or sorry, three uh, issues of the of the subcommittee report. Even if you don't go to the forums, even if you don't use the website or do anything else, just to get those four copies digitally into your mailbox is worth it. Yeah, yeah well, they're nice. They had nice historical articles too and stuff like that. And just as a for for a casual, I'm not a super diehard submariner person, but I just. Mm -hmm. Just have a casual interest. I like machines and technology and that kind of stuff. So I'll just it's digestible. You know, it's it's yeah. it's not like a novel that you need to read. It's just like you know, you skim through it. It's like yeah, you leave it on the toilet, you know, and you read it when you're in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I just thought of this. What is your favorite submarine movie? The, so Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah, oh, really. The, the, the 1954. Uh, I mean, it has a soft spot because it was my first boat, and uh, but I, I just I love the story, the the themes that it uh, that it raised. Um, of course, there's there's always the these other ones too. Uh, you know, Hunt for Red October. It has to be one of my favorite movies of, oh, yeah, of all time movie. as well. Which is my second favorite submarine behind the Nautilus from Twenty Thousand Leagues. Is the it's the Typhoon class Russian submarine. Oh wow! Uh, do you have a do you have an opinion on what the most accurate submarine movie is? I, you know, honestly, and I, I hate to admit this, I don't know that I would be the right person to ask that question too. I am a submarine fan, but I am, I am not, um, I, I did not live in that world. You know, I was not an active or, or serving uh, submariner. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of individuals who would have infinitely more knowledge about the, uh, the accuracy of, uh, of those movies than I might be able to, uh, to offer, unfortunately. <laughs> so anybody listening to this show, if you have an idea what you might think is the most accurate submarine movie. Accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That so would be, that's a, that's a good topic. You know, I have, I have a, a meeting every two weeks. I call, I call dive tribe with my company. Um, and uh, we get together and there's usually about 20 of us on a live video call just like this. And we talk about, um, sub stuff. So I, this would be a great topic to bring up just as an icebreaker. What is in their opinion? Because there's a lot of guys who served the most accurate depiction of, uh, of our, of submarine life. That would be really cool. Yeah. We have somebody in our circle who's a retired submariner, uh, Greg Oldman. Go. So we should ask him. Yeah. 
And obviously, you could probably break it down. You know, modern versus uh, you know historical. I know Das Boot yeah. was was very accurate, um, almost yeah. uncomfortably so yeah. in many yeah. parts. <laughs> That's a great movie. <laughs> uh, speaking of Das Boot, there's a little trivia. Apparently, um, and the, I only know it just comes to mind because I've been watching it on recently on one of the channels. Is um, there's a new Indiana Jones movie coming out, and so. One of the streaming services has been playing the old Indiana Jones. And the first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he's riding on the submarine that they use to take the Ark to the island. Right, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Apparently the story is they they kind of stole the, that submarine prop from the Das Boot people, kind of without telling them for a day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was there anyway. Who it was cares? there, yeah. Apparently they were filming at the same time or, or close to the same time, I think, yeah. And so they need to Spielberg needed a submarine for the, to do the shoot and had issues getting one. And they said, Hey, the dust, there was one for a dust boat. We'll just borrow that for a bit. It helps the budget a lot when you don't need to build a full scale replica. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, all right. Well, Bob, this has been great having you on. Uh, this has really been a fascinating talk. Uh, even though I've met you a couple of times, this is, I've still learned a bunch of new stuff and some interesting things. And, uh, also mesmerized by that picture behind you. Is that what the heck is that? <laughs> it's some it's some artwork. Uh, I don't know if I even have the artist's name on there, but I I, I picked that up uh, on online. I'm just I'm just a summary nut. I love everything something. And, and, and when it starts turning steampunky, kind of like that, then uh, yeah. I, I really I really get to my fires uh, stoked. <laughs> All right. So as I mentioned before, you have a website. What's your website? NautilusDryDocs.com. It's as easy Man. as that. It's fantastic. And how do we find you on YouTube? RC Sub Guy. Uh, right. Basically, if you search for RC Submarine, I will pop up. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the benefit of being, um, you know, active in this little tiny hobby is that uh, I am I am king of this anthill. Uh, <laughs> at least in in this little <laughs> corner of, of North America. So, uh, yeah, if you're looking for anything RC submarine, if you search for it on YouTube, it'll probably pull me up. Oh, fantastic! Well, I dare everybody to go take a look at his works, the website and uh, YouTube channel. Some neat stuff. I like when you like throw your sub in like your pool or something just for a quick run. Just it. <laughs> that's all you get a kick out of that. That's um, like the only way I could justify having to have a pool. It's a test facility for work. Yes, yeah, it's a tax write off. Tax write off. So, uh, Bob, any last words before we go? No, you know, just uh, well, I, yeah, I guess uh, you know, if if you if you haven't checked out the the hobby, I recommend doing it. It's absolutely fascinating. I really love it. Um, you know, even if you don't end up going into it, there's some amazing uh, videos out there that'll keep you occupied for as long as you want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, it's much better than uh, cat videos on, on YouTube. Um, <laughs> and if anybody is interested at all, I, I encourage them to reach out to me. I would love to hear from you and, uh, and bring more people into this, uh, this little world underneath the ocean. Fantastic. Well, on that note, I think we will uh, surface from this voyage and we will see you next time. You got anything to say, T Terry, before we bug out? No, I found this super interesting. I felt like kind of the outsider because I've never had a submarine, but I've been interested in it. So I appreciate the education and I'm a little bit more uh, 
I get inspired to get my own thing going now. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. I'd love to help you out. Let me know. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question, Terry. Thanks. Thanks for uh, giving an outsider view. Yeah. <laughs> I may be a little too close to the subject to ask good questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I know. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will see you next time. Later. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions or listen to our other great podcasts. Where you will also find links to our iTunes and social media sites. Thanks for listening.